0: We were parked across from the campground host. He said, whatever you do, if you have to, get out of your RV in the middle of the night, bring a flashlight, bring a headlamp, and do not step on a skunk.
1: Don't trip over a skunk. I, <laughs> I know you, that was your biggest worry.
0: I know, in my life, that I would go out there. <laughs> was, and
1: <laughs> Was was your fear that you would, the, the tripping over the skunk would be the traumatic experience or the fact that I wouldn't let you back into the <laughs> RV? Ever,
0: I know. Seriously, what would we have done?
1: Uber from Tucson. <laughs> I, I would set the Uber up for you. So you need to pick up my wife. Oh, you'll know which one she is.
0: <laughs> and I'm paying you extra. And, and take, her, and take her. Well,
1: take her wherever you want. you <laughs> <eat> so much. <laughs> This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, our stories of adventures and misadventures as we travel to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith.
0: And I'm Karen Smith. We are the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. In today's episode, we're talking about five of our favorite national monuments.
1: You know, national monuments don't get as much attention or as many visitors as national parks do, but many of them are just as remarkable.
0: They sure are. When we set off to visit all the national parks, we really missed out by not including national monuments as well. There are 129 national monuments, and they protect everything from natural sites to cultural sites to historical sites.
1: Hmm, you could even say that they're monumental. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, here we go. <laughs> You know what I'm thinking about doing, Karen?
0: <laughs> Matt, I can never even imagine.
1: Well, I'm thinking about getting a hog. <laughs> Is this because I wouldn't let you get a bison? <laughs> I, I, I knew that you would think I was talking about a pig. What <laughs> am talking about a pig? A, a motorcycle. A hog.
0: Oh, a motorcycle. Yeah, what do you think? You want to you want to
1: start being bikers? <laughs> You'd be on the back of my hog. So I'd be a biker chick? Well, that's that's kind of up to you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that term biker chick.
1: <laughs> I know, and and I knew that you would like it because the first thing you think of is fashion show.
0: Well, I know, <laughs> because I've always <laughs> wanted to buy one of those black leather vests or jackets that have the big Harley Davidson on the back.
1: And the leather pants <laughs> with the silver studs. Yes, yes. You want it, all I want of, all of it. You want all, <laughs> you do want all of it.
0: Yeah. The only thing that's kept me from buying it is it would look a little ridiculous on a hiking trail. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, it's not just buying the clothes. You actually have to ride on the back.
0: Well, yes, You're, but that would require no skill on my part. I would just hold on to you, correct? You,
1: you would there'd be handholds. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be holding on to me, <laughs> and you would you would want to keep your phone with you just because if you fell off, I wouldn't know. So you'd have to text me and say, "An hour and a half ago, I fell off the bike." <laughs> you'd have to you'd be long gone. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't have to worry about a hair straightener. (laughs) You could leave that home.
0: That's true.
1: Yeah, well, I'm not just making idle chit-chat. I thought this would be a good segue into our episode today, which is about some of our favorite national monuments in the U.S.
0: What does buying a hog have to do with national monuments? (laughs)
1: Well, we're going to start. Our first national monument is going to be Devil's Tower and it is a very popular destination for people who go to the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally oh, in
0: August. Oh, okay. Now yeah. I'm, now I'm tracking. And okay. so
1: Devil's Tower is in northeast Wyoming, not too far from Sturgis, South Dakota. Mm-hmm. But well,
0: when we went, we saw a ton of people on motorcycles and it wasn't even during Sturgis. I know.
1: I think it's it's a popular biker place. And so I'm thinking we'll get a hog. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. But I think we might want to skip the whole Sturgis motorcycle rally because I don't see you doing well with, what What do they get, like a half a million people there?
1: They, <laughs> they get quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. So in this episode, we're going to talk about some of our favorite national monuments. Uh, we're going to cover five. And we thought it would be fitting to start with Devil's Tower was the first ever national monument. Is ever, that true? In 1906, yes, the first ever national monument in the United States. And it's super cool, and just it's just so Americana when you see it—the mm-hmm. the, the rock tower. It has a huge American flag out front. When we were driving
0: towards it, we could see it for quite a ways away, and it just looked so unusual because there was nothing around it no other mountains or anything and so here is this this tower rising up what like 800 I think I wrote it down 867 feet from the plains around it
1: it's a pretty cool site. And one of the things we like about Devil's Tower is it's a great add-on destination if you're in that part of the country, particularly the Black Hills. Because mm-hmm. you can get to Devil's Tower from Rapid City, South Dakota in what? It's about two-hour drive from Rapid City in the— all the great things that uh, are in the Black Hills to do. Yeah.
0: Definitely want to add this one on. Like you said, it, it's an iconic piece of Americana. You know, I first remember finding out about Devil's Tower back in that, what was it, the late 70s when that movie came out? Close Encounters of the Third Kind. and right. Richard Dreyfuss is building a tower out of his mashed potatoes. That, that mashed potato of uh,
1: <laughs> Devil's Tower. That's yeah.
0: right. That was the first time I even had a clue as to what it was, but it took us a long time to get there.
1: Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> (laughs) cool to see in person now it has a couple of unusual things first of all if you google it look it up devils doesn't have an apostrophe it's devil's tower without an apostrophe i don't know why that is
0: i don't know either but i remember when we were um editing season three and we wrote about it i think i kept inserting the apostrophe and you kept taking it back out
1: (laughs) and then i was i was doing a little research for this episode and to see how did it get its name and it's actually a mistake the early white settlers to the area were talking to the Native Americans and they misinterpreted what they were saying. They thought that they were telling them that it was Bad God's Tower and so they named it Devil's Tower. but what they were really saying was Bear Lodge. so it's uh, it's really to, to the natives it's Bear's Lair or Bear's Lodge. but Devil's Tower stuck.
0: I did not know that, Matt.
1: Sometimes it happens to me too like I get, I get confused. people are telling me stuff and
0: especially me especially <laughs> you
1: it's like you know sometimes I am sure what you're saying is eat more pizza. What in fact you're saying? Do you realize you're morbidly obese?
0: (laughs) Okay, I've never called you morbidly obese.
1: (laughs) But they sound the same. Eat more pizza and, and more morbidly obese. They kind
0: of do if you they say do. it quickly. So mm-hmm. I can.
1: I sympathize <laughs> with the early settlers who got the name wrong.
0: Well, speaking of the early settlers, it's got kind of an interesting history, doesn't it? It does. Well, the first person, or I should say, the first recorded ascent of the tower. Possibly, people had climbed it for hundreds of years before this, but the first recorded ascent was on the Fourth of July in. 1893. And that was 13 years before it even became a national monument. So what's the story, Matt? Help me remember. It was two local ranchers. Well, they were
1: having tough times. And I don't know if it was... I I do remember because uh, I have my own I have a history show.
0: (laughs) Oh, you do. Yeah,
1: that I host in in our other basement. (laughs)
0: We'll share that with us then. But I think in
1: 1893 in America, that was kind. There was a depression going on. The ranchers were having a tough time, so they were trying to raise money. So they figured they would create uh, a lot of excitement around doing the first ascent of Devil's Tower. And so they promoted it. They had about 800 people show up. They camped out. They had concessions. So it was um,
0: like a, a carnival or it was a event. fair. Yeah, it was <laughs> an event.
1: Fun. And so on the 4th of July, one of the ranchers, they had erected a 350-foot ladder to get them to the top.
0: And that's interesting how they did it, right? They hammered two foot long pegs into a crack in in Devil's Tower and made a ladder going all the way up.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of trust to hammer a rod into a crack of a rock. Like if I'm hammering stuff into cracks in the rock, I'm not going to trust my life on it. But that's what they did. So they used that ladder to get like two thirds of the way up. And then they I think they free climbed the rest. I don't think the very top is all that hard to Mm -hmm. get up to. But then the big deal for them was they erected an American flag on the top of Devil's Tower, (laughs) yeah, the first ever ascent. And so I am questioning if that was the first ascent, how did the flagpole get up there?
0: Hmm, sounds a little suspicious, well, does The
1: first ascent, they just got up there and, hmm, there's a flagpole up here. Uh, so I, I don't know. Yeah. I, th- I think they may have practiced a few times.
0: Maybe. Do you know if that flagpole is still up there?
1: I don't know.
0: Well, what is still there is part of that same ladder. So I guess people continued to climb it, but by the 1920s, it was about to fall down. So the National Park Service removed the bottom section of the ladder, but the top 200 feet they restored in 1972. So visitors can still look up and see part of that original ladder, which is pretty cool.
1: And it it is a popular rock climbing spot, not to use the, the ladder, but just rock climbers. Although we should mention that the Native Americans feel like climbing up Devil's Tower is disrespectful of the site. And mm-hmm. there's even... What, there's a voluntary prohibition to climbing every June?
0: Yes, the National Park Service enacts every June a voluntary closure from June 1st to June 30th, asking people to please refrain from climbing, scrambling, anything at Devil's Tower out of respect for the Native American Indians.
1: When we were there, we did the Red Beds Trail, which is about 2.8 miles around the tower, and that's a great hike. It's a dirt trail, uh, moderately strenuous. It has some ups and downs, but mm-hmm. but the cool thing about this is one one it wasn't very crowded. In the time we were there, it was the parking lot was pretty crowded, but the trail wasn't. Uh, so that's that was one good thing, and also you get to see the tower from 360 degrees, so you see all the different angles.
0: And didn't you think it was interesting how different it looks depending on which side of the tower you're on? Yeah, we obviously took pictures all the way around, and when you look at them, the angle of the top is different in every picture, as is the surrounding land. So it looks almost like a different monument.
1: Yeah, that's that's a fun trail to do. Now, it is. if if people want something less strenuous. There's a 1.3 mile trail around the base of the tower Mm -hmm. and it's paved. It's wheelchair accessible.
0: Yes. Also, if you have strollers Strollers, um, or anything like that, as you said, it's 1.3 miles around. Uh, I think it's fairly easy. We didn't do that one because it's also the most popular, and I think it gets very crowded. That's the one most people choose to do. But if you're looking for some solitude and you don't mind hiking on a dirt trail, try the Red Beds Trail. We love that one.
1: Yeah. Now, the monument gets about 400,000 visitors a year, and I think about a half a million of those show up during the (laughs) Sturgis Rally. (laughs) Dur- which, did you,
0: we say that when that is? That's
1: It's usually the first couple of weeks of August. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know if it's a two-week thing. When we become bikers, <laughs> we'll know. But I, I think it gets very popular. However, I, I don't know that we should take this off our list of things to do during the Sturgis Rally because the other thing that happens is the little town of Hewlett, Wyoming, which is 10 miles to the northeast of Devil's Tower, has their annual ham and jam <laughs> It's a ham and jam festival. Okay. All right. I have a few questions. (laughs) They get about 10 to 12,000 people. And the main feature, which is why I want to go, is they serve free pork. Okay, so pork.
0: Like, is this like barbecue, or does it pork chops? I don't chops know. I or? just
1: I'm really <laughs> focusing on the free and the pork. Those okay. two words. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm assuming it's cooked. Okay, but, but
0: my other question is the jam part of it. Is that as in jelly, or is that as in we're going to rock out while th- we're eating I our pork? I think it's
1: a reference to music. I'm okay. again. I'm, I was kind of stopped at free and pork. <laughs> But, here, it's a place where you could wear your black leather.
0: There you go. I yeah. like it. Uh-huh. Uh, we did drive through that little town on our way to Devil's Tower, and it was darling. It was darling. Although it was so tiny. I don't see how they yeah, could Yeah, there was, it
1: wasn't a single person there because they're, they're all-
0: uh, Working on the ham. They, they're, <laughs> they're all cooking the ham. <laughs> Chasing
1: the hogs around. And, <laughs> Get enough pork for their festival.
0: Yeah. All right. So, do you have anything else to say about Devil's Tower besides? No, it's,
1: it's just such an Americana site that every, everyone has to see Devil's Tower at least once in their life and uh, go into the visitor center or the, the gift stores close by and buy a pocket knife with Devil's Tower on the side. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Devil's Tower is a must see monument, even if you're not riding there on a motorcycle. All right, so we are going to move on to Cedar Breaks National Monument, which is in Utah.
1: When we first went to Cedar Breaks, we took a lot of photographs, and we even posted some photographs of Cedar Breaks. And kind of as a trick, (laughs) (laughs) we asked people. I think we even ran a contest. The first couple people who can identify this site will give them a like an autograph book or something. Anyway all the responses were bryce canyon bryce canyon bryce mm-hmm. canyon and then like the 100th response was cedar breaks it, this this place looks it looks exactly like bryce canyon it's bryce canyon's <laughs> twin
0: it is and it is beautiful one of the main differences between cedar breaks and bryce canyon is that you cannot hike down into the amphitheater the amphitheater there is about a half a mile deep and there are no trails so you can walk along the rim and look at all of its gorgeousness but you can't hike down into it
1: which makes the trail a little less strenuous i mean it's not Mm -hmm. easy uh but yeah that's a beautiful trail
0: before we talk about the trail in specifics, let's let's talk about where it is. And I also have to throw in, because I always think this is interesting, that it became a national monument in 1933.
1: In nineteen thirty three. So it's been a long time. Yeah. Well, it's about forty-five minutes east of Cedar City, Utah. So it's in the southwestern part of Utah State. Cedar City is right on I-15. However, from Cedar City to Cedar breaks. It's kind of a winding road that goes up in the mountains. So it's not physically not that far from town, but it takes a little while to get there. And in the winter, there's a lot of snow because the elevation goes up. So how to get there changes depending on the time of year because some of those roads are closed.
0: Cedar Breaks sits at over 10,000 feet elevation. So it is up there. Yeah, so it's going to get some Mm -hmm. snow. And I did look it up between mid-October and late May the road to the park is closed. So the only way to access it is on snowmobile, snowshoes, or cross-country skiing. So it's a summer park. If you want to hike, we went in the summer. You have to go between – well, you basically have to go June, July, August, or September if you want to hike.
1: Yeah. I bet the snow is spectacular, though.
0: Yeah. I would like to do that. The thing is, when we go to Utah in March, which we pretty much do every single year – I'm tired of the snow, and I want sun, and I want a hike. True, that's true. And so I think that's one of the reasons we've never done it. But we, we should put it on the list.
1: We go to Utah often enough. We should definitely check it out in the winter. But we were there in the summertime, and mm-hmm. we were we visited the little uh, visitor center up on the rim. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the trail we took, the South Rim Trail, like we said, spectacular views of the hoodoos.
0: Yeah, so the, the South Rim Trail— It goes along the South Rim, which is why it was named that. If you go for one mile, you get to the Spectra Point viewpoint overlooking the amphitheater. And that's a great hike if you want to just do one mile out and back. If you continue on to the two-mile mark, you get to the Ramparts viewpoint, which is equally beautiful. And then if you go a little bit further for two and a half miles, you get to the Bartson viewpoint. And this is absolutely beautiful. One thing to know, though, you are hiking downhill as you're going. So if you go to the furthest point at 2.5 miles, just remember, you still have to come back up to the visitor center. And I'd say it was moderately strenuous, right?
1: Yeah, it wasn't easy, um, but it wasn't strenuous. And the other thing I liked about that trail is one of my favorite things is seeing bristlecone pine trees. I know. And there are quite a few of them along that trail. And when we were there, uh, there were some of the the trees had cones on them. Mm -hmm. I think they're purple in color. Yeah, it's it's fun. I mean, these trees are 3,000 years old.
0: I know, and they only grow at high elevation. So in its sister park, or twin, as you call it, in Bryce Canyon, you can go to the very top of Bryce Canyon, the, the end of the road, and see those bristlecone pine trees. And then, of course, you can also see them at cedar breaks. But I love bristlecone pines, too. If you think about that, they've been growing there for 3,000 years. Just think about everything that they've seen.
1: Can you imagine 3,000 years ago, a, a squirrel climbing that tree?
0: <laughs> were there even squirrels back then? <laughs> Do
1: you think they were dinosaur squirrels? You're the history expert. You yeah. would, there, there were no dinosaurs 3,000 years ago.
0: No, no. I don't know what was there 3,000 years ago except for the bristlecone pine trees. They were there. So I think that's really cool.
1: Okay, so let's stay in Utah, but move to the east to a huge national monument, which is Grand Staircase Escalante. So if you want to know why it has two names, uh, Escalante (laughs) means staircase. So So
0: it's Grand Staircase Staircase. It's Grand Staircase Staircase (laughs)
1: National Monument.
0: So this park is interesting because it's not managed by the National Park Service. It's managed by the Bureau of Land Management. And it was designated a national monument in 1996. And originally then, at that point, it had 1.9 million acres. But in 2017, the monument size was cut in half to just about a million acres. Still huge.
1: Right. And this particular area, because it's so big, it has like four different visitor center. There's a small one in Cannonville. There's one in Big Water to the south. uh, There's one in Kanab. And then there's one in the little town of Escalante.
0: And that's a big one. That's
1: a big one. That's a big, nice one. It's Mm -hmm. a multi-agency visitor center. The one in Escalante, you can get information about really a lot of public lands in southern Utah.
0: Right. They have folks from the National Forest there because Escalante is uh, surrounded by national forests, right?
1: And this area, this huge area that makes up the monument, it also backs up to Glen Canyon National Recreation Area, which is to the east. Mm-hmm. As far as contiguous space, there's a lot of public land, so it's it's a great uh, playground for people who like to get outdoors. That's right. You know, there there are not too many times when we travel that I feel like we really need a do-over, but. We did a slot canyon hike in Escalante a few years ago, the Spooky Trail, and we got a little spooked.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We got very spooked. We got
1: spooked for a couple of reasons. We got spooked because we got to a spot where the squeeze was (laughs) pretty tight. Oh, my gosh. We had to take our backpacks off and and could only slip the backpacks down. Down through the opening by our feet mm-hmm. and then could have been affected by how much pizza we had eaten on the trip. <laughs> but boy, the, the midsection area of where how we had to squeeze through that Slot Canyon got a little tight. But I think it opens up. I mean, I've heard that it opens up past mm-hmm. some of its original squeezes. So we're talking about the Spooky Trail, which is off the Hole in the Rock Road
0: now, the Hole in the Rock Road is um, it's very close to the little town of Escalante, and it is about 62 miles one way. It's a dirt road, and it goes from Grand Staircase-Escalante National Monument down to Glen Canyon National Recreation Area. The last five miles are in Glen Canyon, and the last five miles are rough. <laughs> they don't suggest anyone attempt that unless you are in a four-wheel drive vehicle.
1: And I believe there are all sorts of backpacking trips off that road.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so there's a lot for us left to do back there.
0: There is a lot.
1: I haven't, haven't really had a chance to explore it as much as we want.
0: And some other slot canyons along there as well. Our favorite one that we've done so far is Zebra Canyon. I know we've posted a lot of pictures of Zebra Canyon on social media because it is so beautiful. They call it zebra because of the stripes in the slot canyon. And it's gorgeous. It's about Uh, what it was about five miles round trip
1: it was and the canyon itself was not very long and we posted a video about this and the question we always get from people when they see these videos is, don't we get claustrophobic in there Mm -hmm. and uh, I think the video makes it look a little more claustrophobic than it really is I mean it's it's tight
0: and the thing that never shows up on our photos is that In these slot canyons, at least everyone we've been in, you can see the sky above you, which for me helps a lot. It's not like you're in a cave with some kind of a roof over your head. You can look up and see the sky. But one thing we should say about zebra and really about any slot canyon, of course, we always say don't ever, ever go in if there are thunderstorms in the forecast. That's a given. But the other thing that we have had people tell us and we've seen photos is often there is standing water in these slots and you have to hike through possibly knee-high or even waist-high water.
1: Yeah, that's, that's not good. One of the <laughs> things we do if we want to do slot canyons is we go to a visitor center and ask ranger if they know what the general conditions are. And you really want to try to hit these when they're dry. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been dry for a while. That's I know. Right. I know you can't always do that, uh, but
0: right. And we've seen a lot of people that you know they have their backpacks on their heads and they're waist deep in these slots in really stagnant-looking, disgusting water. And I'm just going to say that's a no-go for us. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: a no. That's a no-fly zone. That's we're not. Right. We're not hiking through green water. That's no. God only knows know.
0: what's in that water. No. But so just a heads up on that, and definitely check at one of those ranger stations or visitor centers before you go.
1: The trail out there was great, Mm -hmm. Uh, even though the time we were in the Slot Canyon was not very much.
0: Yes. And I guess we should also say, as we say frequently, if you want to do this hike, go early because it does get crowded. It's very popular. When we went early and we were the only people there, but I'm not sure what you would do because the Slot Canyon is so narrow, you cannot possibly pass people. Maybe people wait their turn. I don't know. But anyway, our suggestion would be go early so you have the place to yourself.
1: Another Slot Canyon that we did years ago was Peekaboo. I I do remember enjoying that. And anytime you go during summer months, uh, it can get warm. Some of these trails, they're in the open until you get to the Slot Canyon. So, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, wear sunscreen and all that. And then one trail that we had put off for years because we thought maybe it would be too crowded that when we did it, that we were pleasantly surprised was Lower Calf Creek Falls.
0: Yes, that is the most popular trail in Escalante and we had avoided it because we don't like to hike when there are massive amounts of people, but the ranger at the visitor center there talked us into it. So we went and actually we were there in the fall and I don't know if we got lucky or what, but we did not see that many people on right, the trail. And right. when A- we actu- handful of people, yeah. right when we actually got to the waterfall, we should say that Lower Calf Creek Falls is 6 miles round trip and then it takes you back to this really pretty waterfall that's 130 feet high. When we got back there, there was there was one other person there, which was pretty cool.
1: Yeah, and the and the falls are are cool to see. Just one other note that this is lower Calf Creek Falls. There is an upper Calf Creek Falls, which is a different trail. And it does not take you to the bottom of the falls, mm-hmm. uh, and we haven't done that trail. We hear it's interesting also, but if you're planning to do it, just pay attention to which trail you're taking, and it's lower.
0: And we've seen photos in the summer. It wasn't warm enough when we were there, but people swim in the waterfall, and then there's a, a pool of water below. it. People swim in the water, so bring your swimming suit. Yeah,
1: and it's not green water.
0: It's not green no, water It's, no. it's flowing. Yeah.
1: One one last tip before we move on to the next national monument, if you're in the town of Escalani. We have gone many times to the Outfitter there because not only can you get outdoor gear, but you can get a fantastic pizza. <laughs>
0: That's right. <laughs> Called Escalani Outfitters. And I know you love it, Matt, because you'll order a pizza, then you'll go buy a pair of hiking socks, look at some maps, and then go back into the little dining room and eat your pizza and have a beer. It's Perfect. It has it everything. Has. I, I want to live there. Actually, I
1: think they actually have rooms for rent there also, which we haven't stayed in. So we, we can't recommend or not recommend it. But uh, yeah, they also have some cabins, I think. All right. Well, we're going to stay in Utah. We're going to go to, we're further to the east. Uh, Natural Bridges. One of the reasons you like this national monument because it was the first ever. National Park Service Unit in the state of Utah.
0: I know. When you think of the mighty five national parks, I would assume it would be one of those. But Little Natural Bridges, which is somewhat unknown, was actually the very first one back in 1908.
1: So it's in the southeastern corner of Utah. It's it's kind of just west of the Bears Ears area. And from Blanding, the town of Blanding. It's about an hour drive to the west. You can get to it from the west, from Hanksville, but yeah, it's on that uh, highway from Blanding, about an hour to the west.
0: But the second time we went, we drove from the south. We took the um, Mokey Dugway up, which was cool.
1: Right. We were down by Bluff, Utah, and we wanted to do Mokey Dugway, which is a A dugway is, uh, I thought that was somebody's name, but a dugway (laughs) is a road that's been dug out of the side of a cliff. Uh, And that's a cool drive. We, We had hesitated to do that for years because we thought it was treacherous, but it's not. I mean, like any road on the side of a cliff, you have to pay attention to what you're doing. But it's perfectly safe if it's dry and you pay attention to what you're doing.
0: So we get to the top of Moki Dugway and we're continuing into the area uh, that's called Bear's Ears. And as we're driving along, chatting about, <laughs> I don't know, whatever it is we talk about, all of a sudden we both are looking out the front windshield and they're rising up in front of us. Are the bear's ears. (laughs)
1: And I I think we had come over like a little hump in the road. Uh And we just all of a sudden it's it was clear to us, those are the bears' ears. Because we had always done the other highway that's closer to them. And Mm -hmm. so you can't really see them. And I thought bear's ears was a reference to something else. I didn't know. I, I didn't know what. But yeah, we're driving along this highway, and all of a sudden it's like, okay. It looks like a huge bear uh-huh. and and two ears, yeah.
0: So that's cool to see. Um, but of course, we digress. The first time we visited Natural Bridges, we didn't have much time. We were basically on our way to someplace else. So we got there, we went to the visitor center, and we did that scenic loop drive.
1: Yeah, we did the drive the first time, didn't get out and, and hike. And so it, it went back into the bucket, in your mm-hmm. wish bucket, uh, and the next time we made sure to, planned time so we could do some hiking.
0: That's right. Now, if all you want to do is do the scenic drive, it's a nine mile loop and it does stop at the three viewpoints for the three natural bridges, which we'll talk about in a second. It's not a scenic drive from your car. You have to park and you have to get out and walk to the viewpoint. So just note that. But as Matt said, the second time we made sure we had a full day so we could do the hike down into the canyon and see these three natural bridges. So let me just say their names, and hopefully I don't butcher this. They are called Kachina, Owachomo, and Sipapu. Those are Hopi names. Now, Matt. Karen. I have a quiz for you. Oh,
1: I, I love quizzes. <laughs> I, I love when you ask me questions that I don't know the answer to while we're recording the podcast. <laughs>
0: okay, but here's the thing. <laughs> this is a true-false, so you have a 50% chance of guessing the right answer, okay? okay. okay. Right. So true or false, the three natural bridges were once named by early explorer groups and they were called Augusta? Caroline and Edwin.
1: Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say that's that's probably true because if, if you were just going to make up names, uh, one of the names would would have been Karen. <laughs> that's right? for sure. Okay, so that's right. Yeah, I'm 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 going to guess that that is true.
0: <laughs> ding 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 ding. <laughs> it Great. is true. I can't
1: wait for the next question.
0: I thought that was so funny though, Edwin. Edwin. Yes, we're going to have a natural bridge named Edwin. <laughs> yeah, so
1: then they then they uh, changed them to Hopi names. That's right. Much more fitting and appropriate. And we should tell people that these bridges are down. Like you said, you have to go to the overlooks and look down. And so when you hike through the park, you hike down to White Canyon and then along the river. And that's how you get the bottom-up view of the natural bridges, which is what we did.
0: And it was a fantastic hike. So we did what's called the Sipapu-Kachina Loop, and that's 5.7 miles. So we went down at Sipapu, and there's a series of – there's staircases, there was a ladder or two, there are stone steps sort of carved into the rock – it wasn't difficult.
1: No, it wasn't. But we knew going into it, we knew it was a little steep and probably slow go that first little bit to get mm-hmm. down. And like happens to us often, I don't know, we must be on the same wavelength as all of the uh, fifth grade teachers out there.
0: <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> be- talking about because the we, of kids. We, <laughs> ca-
1: we get to the trail and it's and it's early morning, so I'm not sure where these kids came from mm. that early in the morning. Uh, and so the bus is unloading. And so there's a group of fifth graders getting ready to do this trail. And uh, so we, we panicked a little because knowing that it would be a slow go, we, we didn't want to be behind them. We have nothing against kids. We have we have our own children. <laughs> so I just don't want to be behind a bunch of fifth graders who are trying to push each other off the cliffs or flicking boogers at each other. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, whatever they're doing, I just like I, – I, I just want to be in front of them.
0: I know. And there was this look of panic in your eye as we descended that first metal staircase down and they were right behind us laughing yeah. and talking. And I looked at you and you were – practically running at that point. And when you get down to the very first landing, there is there is an ancestral puebloan ruin there that you know is very cool to see and I wanted to look at it and take photos and you were already off to the next ladder. And so I had to run to catch up with yeah. you because you wanted to get ahead of those fifth graders. <laughs> well, the,
1: the rangers did a did us a favor cuz when when we got out of our truck, I caught the ranger's eye and she could see the panic on my face and she gave me this like sideways glance like I'll I'll stall them. I got your
0: back. <laughs> you guys mm-hmm. you guys get going on the trail.
1: So that was really nice of her to delay the their tour for sixty seconds to let us get in front. But anyway, they were they were fine. It was all good.
0: It was all good. So once we climbed down to the bottom of the canyon. So at that point, you're at the bottom of Sipapu. And then you go, you follow this little river, tiny river through the valley, which is absolutely beautiful. Lots of deciduous trees down there. It it didn't look like we were in Utah anymore when we were down there. And then what we did, we climbed back out at the Kachina Loop. And that hike was 5.7 miles. You climb back out and then you walk along the mesa top back to your car. If you want a bigger hike, you can go to the third bridge, Oachomo, and hike out there. And that's a
1: 10-mile loop. Yeah, we should do that sometime. I I actually enjoyed the Mesa Top section of Mm -hmm. the hike we did. Yes. That's interesting, too. It's It's just different
0: beautiful park. The natural bridges are beautiful. And aside from the fifth graders, we did not see anybody down in the canyon when we were hiking down through there. No one.
1: Now, you suggested several times that we camp there. They have a little campground.
0: Mm -hmm. You know the reason I want to camp there? (laughs) I don't know if you knew this, but natural bridges is the first international dark sky park. I think it's one of the best places in the entire country to stargaze at night.
1: And I know that you you pay attention to this because you're always wanting to see the stars at night. However, when we camp, you fall asleep, right, <laughs> as soon as it gets dark. And what do you say to me?
0: i tell <laughs> you this, because you always have to get out of the tent once or twice in the middle, middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And I always say, if you see the Milky Way, wake me up. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm, and
0: you never have. No,
1: I've... <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't want to wake the dragon in the (laughs) the middle of the night. I know that you say this before you go to bed, but I I know what will happen at 2.30 in the morning. Hey, Karen, wake up. The stars are out. You want to see the Milky Way? (laughs) I'll be sleeping outside the rest of the night.
0: That's probably true. You're a smart man, man. Yeah, so you just have to
1: to wake up yourself. All
0: right. All right. It's on the list. On the list.
1: Anyway, it's a Beautiful park. I know people do a lot of travel in Utah to see the mighty five national parks. and But if you're there and you have some extra time, then Natural Bridges is, is a great stop.
0: It is. It's fantastic. Now, moving on to Arizona, the very southeast corner of Arizona is Chiricahua National Monument.
1: And we couldn't pronounce this for a long time. A matter of fact, I don't know that we actually pronounced it correctly until we got there. We had to ask the ranger. We had to ask the ranger. We r- did,
0: because the way it's spelled is quite different than the way it's pronounced. But we had never heard of this park. You know why we finally ended up going there? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's because we talked about it briefly when we did our podcast episode about about renting the RV in Arizona. Uh So when we were making plans for that and I was looking for campgrounds that would take an RV and would also take reservations, and it was also a park. There were very few in southern Arizona, but Chiricahua was one of them. So even though we'd never heard of it, I thought, well, let's go check it out. And it was amazing. It was that
1: we stayed at that Bonita Canyon campground. Mm-hmm. That's that's not too far from the visitor center there. Yeah, now this monument is uh, – there's not a lot around it, but it's not far from civilization. It's about 110 miles east of Tucson. So about two-hour drive. Uh, it became a monument in 1924. And in that time frame, as you'll find in a lot of parks, the CCC did a tremendous amount of work of building the infrastructure of that of that monument.
0: That's right. Now, we were there in January and I have seen photos of the park in January and apparently it can snow there. But when we were there, it wasn't very cold. The park was empty and it was really pleasant during the day.
1: Yeah, sun was out, and it was cool, but not cold. And yeah, we, we had a great day. And I, I don't remember it being all that cold at night in our RV. A little bit.
0: Yeah, a little bit. So our first stop when we got there was the Visitor Center, and we learned all kinds of wonderful information at the Visitor Center, as we always do. But one thing we found out was that, and this is random and odd, um, apparently four species of skunks that's four four species, species of skunks. Of skunk.
1: There's four species of skunks in there that live They're in the all park. Four. There I think there only are four species of skunks. Well, who knew? And I, I know didn't you... know, but I pointed this out to you cuz there's a sign on the bulletin board in, mm-hmm. in the visitor center that tells you about the four different species of skunks.
0: Right, and one of them, I don't remember all of them, but one of them was hognose. Hognos. I do remember that.
1: Striped, spotted, oh, hognose. <laughs> I forget the fourth one. People are now going to email us.
0: (laughs) It never even occurred to me that there would be skunks. When we got to our campground, we were parked across from the campground host. Very nice fellow. He was giving us information. And he said, whatever you do, if you have to get out of your RV in the middle of the night to go anywhere, to go to the restroom or, or go do anything Bring a flashlight, bring a headlamp, and do not step on a skunk.
1: Don't trip over a skunk. I, <laughs> I know you, that was your biggest worry.
0: <laughs> I know, in my life, that I would go out there. and
1: <laughs> was, was your fear that you would, the, the tripping over the skunk would be the traumatic experience or the fact that I wouldn't let you back into the RV, <laughs> ever?
0: I know. Seriously, what would we have done? I know you're supposed to go get tomato juice and take a bath in no. tomato juice, but Okay, we're in the middle of Chiricahua National Monument. There's no tomato juice, and there's no bathtub.
1: <laughs> Uber from Tucson. I, I, I would set the Uber up for you. So you need to pick up my wife. Oh, you'll know which one she is.
0: <laughs> and I'm paying you extra. And, and take, her, and
1: take her. Well, take her wherever you want. <laughs> So,
0: done that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's funny because we had, that was our first uh, stop with the RV and people had told us, RVers had told us that, they usually never use the bathroom in their RV if they can help it. I mean, if there are campground bathrooms and stuff, just to save on filling up the the RV tanks. So we had said, if there's a bathroom close by, we'll use the public bathroom instead of the RV. Boy, when I heard about those skunks, I said, forget it. I am using the RV bathroom. I'm never stepping foot outside this RV, especially at night.
1: <laughs> but at the same time, you were very excited to see... And I'll, I'll pronounce this wrong. The Quaddies, the Quatamundis? Quatamundi. You th- As you thought at the time, you thought there were monkeys.
0: Well, <laughs> the ranger told us, we'd never heard of them. The ranger told us they look like half monkey, half raccoon. Which half? I think the back half <laughs> looks like the monkey because it has back a half, long tail.
1: Back half monkey, <laughs> front, fr- half front half raccoon.
0: <laughs> and they're about the size of a large house cat. And what she said was they hang around that area where the campground is. And she said, you might see one with a baby. Oh, you and wanted to see. that's what them. I wanted to see.
1: Yeah, the the baby quadamundis, But we didn't see any. We didn't. And, and, There are not many in the United States. They're right there kind of at the border with Mexico. And then their habitat extends down, I think, into uh, Central America.
0: Oh, okay. Good to know, Matt. Thank you. Well, I I
1: have a (laughs) wildlife channel that I host (laughs) also. But we should talk about the trails a little bit that that we did. Uh, One of the great things about this park is you can hitch a ride with the ranger, up to the top of the park so the visitor center's at lower elevation and the park goes up from there and there's a eight mile paved scenic drive kind of goes up to there's echo canyon and sugarloaf mountain up there and uh, you can get out there and then hike back to the visitor center area which is what we did and th- that was a great day
0: now when matt says hitch a ride Mm -hmm. let's be clear on that. (laughs) You're not standing on the side of the road putting your thumb out. If you want to do this, and we highly recommend it, you need to sign up in the visitor center the day before because it's a shuttle, small shuttle bus, like a van, it's a van. And it only holds, I think, maybe 10 people. So we signed up. She picked us up at our campground at 9 a.m. sharp. If you're not standing there, she leaves without you. And she took us up there. So just note, if you would like to do this, all the info is at the visitor center. Right. It was amazing up there, wasn't it?
1: It was a wonderland of rocks. That's <laughs> Which is actually what it's called. That's actually what they call it. It's a wonderland of rocks. Mm-hmm. Rhyolite pinnacles.
0: That's right. And the,
1: you know, the rhyolite, it's an extrusive igneous rock with very high silica content, usually pink or, or gray. These were gray.
0: Wow, man. <laughs>
1: my geology channel.
0: (laughs) That is amazing. (laughs) So these tall rock pinnacles, spires, absolutely beautiful. So the bus dropped us off now. There are a couple of hikes you can do from there. So if you want to go straight down, and it's all downhill, which is wonderful. If you want to go straight back to the visitor center, you can do so on a trail that's about a little over four miles. That's the shortest one.
1: But just one thing to note, it's generally downhill, but if you do this loop, there is some up and down when you're up kind of at that top area. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the points that we wanted to get to that we kind of side trails... Uh, there was a little bit of elevation gain.
0: Right. Now, we did what's called the Big Loop, and that covers pretty much everything. It's nine and a half miles down to the visitor center, and that included a short spur that took us out to Inspiration Point. Inspiration Point had the most amazing views, didn't it? We sat there and yep. ate our lunch and took about a, a billion pictures, and right. it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah,
1: and we didn't, uh, we didn't see a whole lot of folks there. I, I know from looking this up, it can get into the hundreds Yes. Uh, during the summertime. I mean, right. this, this is southern Arizona, so mm-hmm. uh, be, be careful of the heat if you're there in the summertime.
0: That's right. And besides the hoodoos, we were amazed at how many balanced rocks they a lot, had. A lot of balanced
1: rocks, yeah. Oh, my
0: gosh. There's, it just blows your mind how there were these huge boulders that were perched on these very tall, slender columns, and we saw at least a half a dozen of those. Well,
1: rhyolite will do that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I know you're excited because the ranger told us at the visitor center that the day before when she was telling us about the hike, she said, and if you hike five miles in the park and you take a selfie of yourself on the trail and you come back to the visitor center and you show us, you get a rock the rhyolite pin yeah.
1: do you still have your pin i have my pin. i know you do, do you, because do you, you were your? obsessed about getting yeah. it
0: i don't know man i have it somewhere i don't know where it is it's in a
1: pile somewhere <laughs> yeah we right. got we got our rhyolite oh pins. we
0: got it for sure but if you want to hike up there which which is really the highlight of the park and you can't do the shuttle for whatever reason it's full or it's not running you you can drive up there and park and hike You just have to go back up to your car. right? Or you
1: can start at the bottom and go up and back down. Yeah, you you just have to just recover that distance. Absolutely.
0: But an amazing park.
1: Yeah, so it's a great monument, kind of not really on the way to anything. But certainly if you're in Southern Arizona, especially if you're in the Tucson area visiting, it's it's certainly worth a trip out there or even to go out and camp for a couple days and, and see the park.
0: On that particular park visit, we also stopped at... Tonto National Monument and we stopped at Casa Grande Ruins National Monument, Arizona has an incredible wealth of national
1: monuments. Right. And that's kind of a good wrap up to this Mm -hmm. episode is that like we've done five here, Mm -hmm. five national monuments. We could probably do several episodes Covering five national monuments in in each episode, so we'll do that.
0: Yes, and coming up soon in the next month or so, we are going to have an episode about a park itinerary through New Mexico. And two of our favorite national monuments are in New Mexico, and those would be Bandelier and Kasha Katui. So we'll be covering those as well. But in the meantime, we'll be uh, motorcycle shopping, and uh, all, you can <laughs> and black fi- leather shopping. <laughs> I know <laughs> you can find. Find me at the Harley Davidson store. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Thank you all for tuning into our show and for all the wonderful reviews you've left on Apple Podcasts. As of this recording, we're only three away from our goal of 590. Three. Can you even believe that, Matt?
1: I can't wait for the next goal.
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, I'm going to have to think about that. Now, if you're new to our show and you haven't had the chance to leave us a rating or review yet, you can do that on Apple Podcasts even if you listen to our show on another podcast app.
1: To see pictures from these five national monuments, go to www.thedearbobandsuepodcast.com and click on the title for episode 33. There you'll find the show notes for this episode and links to our photos as well as other information.
0: If you ever want to share feedback, suggest topic ideas, or ask a mailbag question, you can email us at mattandkarensmith at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. You can find us at facebook.com slash and S or on Instagram at Matt and Smith.
1: Have you read our books yet? They're all available on Amazon.com. Just search for Dear Bob and Sue. And you can find more information about our books and about us by heading over to www.dearbobandsue.com.
0: Our show is produced by our very talented team at Puddle Creative in Portland, Oregon. Our artwork is by the designers at Expert Subjects, and our theme music is by Will West. Great news, Matt. Okay, I'm (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) Since you're so gung-ho about visiting all the national monuments... You're gonna be thrilled to know that Jewel Cave in South Dakota is on that list. All right. Just think when we go back to the Black Hills, we get to do another cave tour.
1: I just can't I can't wait. <laughs> uh, but but I have to say, Jewel Cave sounds a lot better than the spider cave or slaughter cave, or or my favorite that you tried to make me go to. Put your scrotum in a vice cave. <laughs>